we are now recording. This is very exciting. Now, those of you who know the Syzygy, hands up if you've ever listened to Syzygy before. Not one of you. Get out. <laughs> That's fine. That's totally fine because that means you're all new listeners, which has basically tripled our listenership. That's really, really good. Um, what we normally do at the beginning of the show is start off with our theme music. So you now have to imagine theme music that you've never heard before. Not playing, but pretend as if it was. Tell you what, here's what we'll do. I'll give you a cue and you can erupt into applause as if we've just come out of theme music. So sort of get yourself into a bit of a theme music kind of vibe. And then as I give you the cue, you can just erupt into applause and, and we'll start the show. Does that, does that sound, sound about right? Okay. Fantastic. All right. So, your magic theme music, theme music. Epic theme music. And coming towards the end of the theme music and erupting. Thank you very much. Goodness. I thought we'd never get there. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Syzygy Podcast, live recording here at the uh, the Podcast Social Club Festival, the first one of these up in Thursk, which I think is very, very cool. None of the people here in the audience apparently have ever heard this podcast before, but you're all podcast fans, right? That's why you're here. This is a great event. Next to me here at the table is Emily Brunsden, Dr. Emily Brunsden from the University of York. Hi, Emily. Hello, hello. My name is Chris Stewart. We have been running the Syzygy podcast down at the University of York for the best part of 18 months now. And I'd just like to drop a number in front of you. Right? We started with nothing. Absolutely zero episodes, listeners, clue. We had nothing. And just two weeks ago, we passed the... 10,000 mark of podcasts. Now, okay, thank you. I'm really liking you in the front row. We're getting a really good reaction. I actually, Let's I'll be honest with you. Let's move a little bit closer. So I, don't, I don't actually know if 10,000 is good because we started from nothing. and we have. But it's a nice round number, right? It's 10 to the power yeah, of 5. Yeah, there's no it's way good. my mum has downloaded this podcast 10,000 times. Mine either. <laughs> Mine, and mine's trying, right? Um, so... Syzygy, what's it all about? You're new to this. We should probably fill you in. Syzygy is a podcast about the universe. We explore the universe every week-ish, um, trying to find not just fascinating things about the cosmos, this crazy thing that we all happen to exist in, but things that are actually based in current research and current investigation in the, in the world of astronomy. So it's not just, ooh, stars are good. It's here's something that was just discovered, like last week. Let's have a chat about that. Fortunately, though I'm not an astronomer, I just make stuff up. Emily is an astronomer, and she does know what she's talking about. Tonight, Emily, we're going to be talking about exoplanets. You gave us a little introduction to that before. But maybe we should really start with what's an exoplanet? Yeah, so apart from being probably the most sexy thing in astronomy right now. It is, it's huge. Yeah. So exoplanets are planets that we're finding around other stars other than our own sun. So these are other worlds, other systems. And to date, we have found and confirmed, I just checked this number on my phone, 4,099 of them. Now, the thing I love about that is that that's how, that's how relevant, that's how now that is. 
This is not, yeah, we found a few. It's 4,000 and what? 4,099. 4,099 as of today. So these things are being updated in real time, these discoveries, downloaded in the data from the satellites and the telescopy things. That's a real word. Um, and, and sifting through with astronomers and supercomputers going, where is the next one coming from? And updating it in real time, which is very, very cool. When was the first exoplanet actually confirmed and discovered? 1992. No, I want a date. I want a date and a time. I'm kidding. 1992. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to hit me in a minute. 1992, which is not that long ago, um, for those of us in the room who were born before 1992, which is a few of us. Um, yeah, but I actually said this to my planetary science class the other yeah. day. I said, you know, well, the Nobel Prize was won for exoplanets discovered in 1995. It was. It was this year. And I just casually said, you know, that's within all our lifetimes. And then <laughs> no. they stared blankly back at me and I realised, <laughs> crap, time is a thing. I mean, these are people who were born after about 16 episodes of The Simpsons, for God's sake. <laughs> you know, they know nothing. They know nothing. Anyway, exoplanets, it's staggeringly a new thing. I mean, this is the amazing thing about doing this podcast. As someone with a science background, I'm a physicist, or a lapsed physicist, really, um, but I'm not an astronomer, and I'm learning a lot as we go along. And one of the things that I'm learning is that we know so little, and the stuff that we do know is so recent. And exoplanets is a perfect example of that. So we thought we'd talk about exoplanets tonight, but we thought we'd do it in a bit of an interesting way. We have called this episode the Great Syzygy Space-Off. It's, in fact, the second Great Syzygy Space-Off we've ever done. It's a bit of a competition, really, between Emily and myself. And you get to be the judge, judges. Communally, you are judges of this particular event. The way we're going to do it is this. We are going to compete head-to-head on three different events throughout the evening. At the end of... And we will, we will present our contributions to those three particular categories and you will judge the winner who el- who you think comes out with the best bit of space-based stuff and you can interpret that in any way shape or form that you like but you will be doing the voting the way that we would like you to do the voting is actually electronically hands up in the room if you manage to bring an internet capable device with you you got it with you you're actually allowed to use your phones in this show just make sure they're on silent please when the time comes we'll point you to a website and all you have to do is go to that website enter in the code that we give you and up will pop emily and chris and our entries into that particular category and you can vote for it and at the end of the night we have you'll be voting for us and we will be competing not just for fame and glory but we are competing for the great syzygy space of crown which is there We've done one of these before. Hands up, people at the front of the room, if you've won the great Syzygy Space Off before. (coughs) (laughs) Not that I'm sore about that at all. I was robbed, ladies and gentlemen. I was robbed. Totally, totally robbed. So let's get this underway. Now, I got this wrong last time, didn't I? Because I didn't know how to say the thing, right? When we go to the first category. Okay, yeah, there, there is a way to say the thing. Apparently there is. There is. Apparently there is. Anyone here watch, uh, what, what's the name of the show? RuPaul. RuPaul's Drag Race. Anyone here watch RuPaul's Drag Race? Excellent. Yes, thank you. I love you. the intersection of these two uh, shows. <laughs> anyway, so that's us. This is Exoplanet Edition. So apparently, I say this wrong. The category is... Category is... Category is... Deadly. Which one are we 
One of us is going first, I wonder. Oh, I think it's me. Can I just point out that yeah. we did quite a lot of research for this show. We There were 4,099 exoplanets that we had to go through in order to select just six for this particular yeah. episode. Sifting through one by one going, no, no, no. Oh, that one's good. Yep. So the first category tonight is deadly. What we are looking for are the deadliest exoplanets, the deadliest lumps of stuff orbit, orbiting other stars in the universe that have been found, and I get to go first. And mine, look, I dug deep on this one. There were so many possibilities, because it turns out, like, we're used to the Earth, right? We're used to the Earth being this nice, comfy, slightly less comfortable lately, but we'll shelve that for the time being. This nice, comfy place we call home. Turns out a lot of planets around other stars are not quite so habitable, and there are a lot to choose from that you wouldn't survive on for terribly long. Anything from, it's really cold here, to, hey, there's no atmosphere, we can't breathe, through to fiery hell death. So it's really quite easy to find deadly exoplanets. But this one for me really, really stood out. The one that I chose is goes by the very uh, prosaic name of PSR J1719-1438B. Oh, you didn't choose that one. I did. I did. <laughs> I know. Predictable as ever. Um, it's a pulsar planet. Emily, I'm going to throw this one to you. 15 words or less. What's a pulsar? It's a remnant of a very, very uh, large star that's gone through an enormous explosion, like a supernova, and it's kind of behaving like a lighthouse. So it's a tiny blob, very, very hot, got lots of light, but we've got this very, very nice periodic lighthouse signal coming from it. Yeah, now that makes it sound nice, right? Who doesn't like a lighthouse, right? <laughs> Lovely place to go on a holiday off the coast of Scotland when the storm blows up. And, um, but this kind of lighthouse is, is pretty horrific, right? You've got a star. It's coming to the end of its life. It started off as a fairly big star, bigger than our sun. And as it comes to the end of its life, it doesn't just go away with a whimper and, and fade away. It explodes in one of the most violent explosions you can imagine. One of the most violent things we find in the universe, a supernova. Such a huge explosion that briefly that one object outshines the entire galaxy of potentially hundreds of billions of stars in which it sits. It outshines that whole galaxy just for a little while. Huge amounts of energy. This planet is orbiting the remains of a supernova. So that means that at one point it was right in the middle of that explosion. It was orbiting a star as it came to the end of its life and that star exploded bigger than any explosion you can possibly imagine. And the planet is still there. How the hell does that work? Let me tell you a little bit about this planet. First of all, the star that it's going around, which goes by the name of PSR J1719-1438, the B part is the planet, right? So that's the name of the star. It's about 4,000 light years away. It's in the Serpens Quarter constellation. You know it well? Oh, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, one of your favourites. Um, the pulsar is actually rotating. The thing about pulsars is that as they have drawn in their mass and stolen mass from, from anything else nearby, they start spinning up a little bit like a, um, a, uh, a ballerina or an ice skater. As they're rotating around, if they draw their arms in, they spin faster. That's what the pulsar does. And this pulsar is spinning around at 10,000 times or more a second. And as it does so, its extraordinarily strong magnetic field is beaming 
huge amounts of energy out across the universe. That's the lighthouse bit. Now, the planet itself, it's actually very, very close to this pulsar. It's got the shortest orbital period of any exoplanet we've found. What does that mean? It means its year is really short. Our year is 365 days and a bit, yeah? 365 Earth days. This planet has an orbital period of two hours and ten minutes. It's going around its central star, its pulsar, every two hours. What does that mean? It means it's really, really, really close. So we like to think of the sun as being quite large in the sky, right? Actually, if you go out, do this next time, never look at the sun, by the way. We should probably point this out. Never look at the sun. But it's about the size of your thumb. If you hold your thumb up at arm's length, that's the size of the, the sun in the sky. It's not very big at all. But at this kind of distance, the star would be massive in the sky. This huge ball of spinning energy blasting the planet over 10,000 times a second with X-rays and gamma rays and all kinds of horrific radiation. Interestingly, this planet used to be a star itself. 99.9% .9 of all the mass of this companion star used to be a binary system. 99.9% .9 of all of that mass got sucked away, drawn into the pulsars, now been eaten up, and all that's left is a dead core of mainly carbon and oxygen and it's so dense that that carbon, mainly down towards the centre, has been squeezed down to form a massive diamond, which is awesome, and would be very, very cool if it weren't so horrifically deadly, because you've just lived through a supernova, one of the most violent explosions ever, and you're being blasted by radiation 10,000 times a second. Emily, that's my entry for deadly. Touché. But is it I'm just going to bring up a couple of pictures to drive my, my point home. That is an artist's impression of a supernova. If you were seeing that, you'd already be dead. Next. <laughs> that is an artist's impression of the original star being sucked away down into the pulsar as it spins up. If you were seeing that, you would be dead. That is the Daily Mail's interpretation <laughs> of a planet made of diamonds. I've got nothing else to say about that one. Uh, yeah, so that's my entry for Deadly. Any comments, Emily? Yeah, it's a star. It's no longer a star, it's now a planet. It's a stellar remnant. Go and have a look at the exoplanet web page because it says it's a planet. Go and look it up. It's a star. Huh. No, it's not. You're wrong. <laughs> Move on. Your turn. <laughs> Well, it's just as well because I can do a whole lot better than this anyway. No, you can't. Oh, I, so, so I certainly can because you've just got like one, maybe two ways to die on your planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but one of them's a supernova. <laughs> I don't good. care. I've got three insta-deaths for you. Do your worst. Yep. Okay, so this is um, one of my favourite exoplanets. It's got a really long and sordid history, which I'm not going to bore you with now. But basically we found it, thought it might be there, then didn't think it was there. Then we found it again, and then turns out, yeah, well, yeah, it actually is there, which is kind of nice. Just sounds like carelessness to me. Uh -huh. <laughs> Carry on. So this is 55 Cancri E. Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah. You can actually see the star 55 Cancri in the sky. It's in the constellation of Cancri. Cancri. It's in the constellation of Cancer. Right. Um, and E stands for the um, planet itself. So E means it was the fourth planet discovered in the system. Yes, because... <laughs> 
because you you name the planets in the order in which they're they're found. So it doesn't sort of like it's not Mercury, Venus, Earth, and so on on the way out. You name them alphabetically, starting with B. So B, C, D, E, fifth letter of the alphabet, fourth planet that's been found. Well done, everyone. Yeah. So 55 Cancri, he has some friends, but the friends are not very interesting, so we're not going to talk about them anymore. But it is the closest planet to its host star in this particular system. And it actually is one of the very, very few exoplanets that has a name. Really? Yeah, and the star has a name as well. Go on. So the planet is called Jansom. And the star is called Copernicus. Why does this planet get a name? Why does my... Hang on. Why does my planet get to be called PSR J1719-1438B and yours gets to be Janssen? Well, we're getting some clues now, aren't we? Yeah, go on. Okay. So, well, interestingly, I did actually have to go and look up who Janssen was. And... Wikipedia lists them, and you know most of my research for who Jensen was came from Wikipedia. I'm most of Emily's research comes from Wikipedia. Actually. Put that right out there. Um, so on the on the page for the star and the planet, when saying how it's named, they named him as a telescope pioneer. Right. You go and read the Wikipedia page page about Jensen himself. He was just a shyster who tried to claim inventing the telescope. <laughs> <laughs> Did no one notice that there already were telescopes? No, 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 that one's mine. And I invented the car and the bus and the aeroplane. That's mine too. Well, you joke, but he actually tried to uh, say he invented the microscope as well. Really? Yeah. And so, yeah, let's name a planet of death after him. Go on then. Yeah. Tell us about well, this planet. maybe that's a fitting uh, end Could for be. this particular person. Anyway, um, so this particular planet is very much like yours and it's very, very snuggled in close to its host star. Yep. It's got a year-long period, so this is how long it takes to go around the host star, of just about 18 hours. So... <laughs> It's not two, though, is it? <laughs> Carry on. <clears throat> However, let's just go through the three different ways you are going to, in fact, die and if you instantly teleport onto this planet. Sure, okay. Because the most important thing is that it's very, very close to its host star, right? It's only, it's, I've got some stats here up on the screen you can have a look at. For example, it's, only, it's a little bit bigger than the Earth, eight times bigger-ish, but it is still a rocky planet. So if you stick a rocky planet this close to a really giant big ball of glowing plasma, it turns out it melts. Right. That's probably not good for a planet. So I'm going to start off with the NASA interpretation of, therefore, what it would be like to visit this exoplanet, which is the picture that we have here on the left. This one here. It's, uh, it's lava life. You're going to sail in a magical bubble <laughs> on a gondola with a balloon... And something about sparkling in the ocean of lava? Skies sparkle above a never-ending ocean of lava. I just, I've got a question. What's it attached to? <laughs> this, it just disappears off the edge of the frame there, very conveniently, not attached to anything in this endless sea of lava. Okay, so that looks nice. No. No? Right. No, no, no. I mean, NASA are brilliant and wonderful and they do amazing things. But you're not buying it? No. No. Okay. Okay, so let's talk about number one where you're going to die as soon as you instantaneously appear on this exoplanet. What, so floating above a sea of lava in a bubble isn't number one way to die? <laughs> well, it turns out lava is a pretty good way to die. Okay, yeah. fine. I mean, we'll go with that. This planet is so hot that it's uh, 2,500 degrees on one side. On its cooler side, it's a mere 1,600 degrees. <laughs> Piece of cake. It's like Yorkshire. And the worst thing is, you've, you've, okay, you've played this game before, right? Yeah. The floor is lava. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you tried the planet is lava? <laughs> There's nowhere to go unless you're on one of these things, in which case you just disappear off the edge of the screen. Yeah, yeah. but this thing is tidally locked, which means that you've always got one face of the planet facing the star at all times. Oh, yeah, now that's really interesting. So this is where you have a really interesting gravitational interaction between the two bodies. So one's going around the other, and they're both spinning as well. And those two kinds of motion could, in, in theory, be, be completely independent, that the spinning of the planet and its rotation around, around its star could be completely separate. But over time, because the gravitational field of the much larger star is dragging on the planet, over time it locks it into step. And in this case, it's locked it in so that one side is always, always facing. facing. Yeah. There's a much more obvious example of this in our own yeah, nearby neighbourhood, isn't it? Yeah, the moon is a great example. Right. So we always see the same side of the moon for exactly the same reason. The moon or, um, has a spins once on its axis for exactly one lunar orbit, which is about a month or yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, and that's thanks to gravity. Thanks, yeah. gravity. Good old gravity. In this case, it's a little bit frightening, though, because it means that one side is, what did you say, two and a half two and thousand? Two and a half thousand, yeah. The and other the side's uh, 1,600. Yeah. Okay. So there's literally nowhere, nowhere to, to hide, hide yeah. on this okay. planet. So you will melt and die. Sure. And just in case, you know, that wasn't enough in terms of the lava death, oh, yeah, this is the only exoplanet that's got volcanoes as well. Oh, good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Excellent. So, yeah, if you haven't got enough lava, here's some more lava for yeah. you. To put on your lava. I heard you like lava, so... It's lava all the way down. It is. <laughs> and that's just number one, is it? That's just number How one. How about you speed through two and three? We've got a lot to get through tonight. <laughs> no way. Come on, you can, you're going to start off with a diamond. I'm going to start off all with, right, with a diamond. All right, fine. Carry on. All right, okay. Deadly atmosphere. Yep. Okay, so this is also one of the few exoplanets we've been able to measure the atmosphere composition. Which is extraordinary when you consider that these things are a very, very long way away that we can even tell that there's an atmosphere at all. But measuring what's in it, well done. Now I'm going to give you a clue. I'm going to tell you what this atmosphere smells like and you're okay. going to tell me what's it made of. Yep. It smells like bitter almonds. Uh, oh, a note, hang on. Now, okay, anyone from the audience, bitter almonds, anyone read your, your Agatha Christie, come on. Arsenic, cyanide. It's, yeah, it's cyanide. cyanide. It's hydrogen cyanide. Yeah. Now... Hydrogen cyanide is not the most fantastic atmosphere you want to be breathing in. Um, That's putting it mildly, I yeah, think. Um, I mean, I'm no expert, but I did read about it and I found out it's used for chemical warfare. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I, def I found this uh, really interesting set of ways that you will die if you breathe in hydrogen <laughs> cyanide. So, yeah, here we yeah, go. Yeah. This, is, this is what's going to happen to yeah. you as soon as you arrive on this exoplanet. You're going to have a coma, you're going to have seizures, you're going to have dilated pupils, shock, heart arrhythmias, low blood pressure, cardiac arrest, abnormal respirations, fluid in the lungs, respiratory arrest as well, and temporary blindness, which I think is fairly irrelevant given that you're going to be dead within minutes. I think all of that's probably merciful given the lava situation, but anyway. Okay, so that's two. Death by lava, death by almonds. Um, what's, what's number three? Okay, so there's one place that we haven't talked about on this planet that you could go and hide from all this horribleness on the surface. Well, if it's not the surface and it's not in the air, I, I'm out of ideas. Well, you, Anyone? you could try going down underneath. Okay, sure. Let's bury it. Let's dig our way down through the lava in one of these magical bubbles of NASA. And so, Except no? my planet's a little bit like yours. Yeah? It's made of diamond. Ah, Right, so you can't dig into it terribly far. And it's a bigger diamond than yours as well. Fine. <laughs> 
Mine one's three times <clears throat> the size of the Earth. Look, it's not size, all right? It's not about the size. It's what you do with your exoplanet diamond that counts. Are you done? You're quite done? Um, so this is uh, the second <clears throat> picture that I've got here is an artist's impression. It's oh, actually one. a um, fly-through that you can do on NASA's uh, exoplanet website. You can actually go out and swim in the lava and imagine what the sun NASA looks has like. too much money, I think. They need to get back into building rockets that go up in the air and less of this, I think. This, I mean, this is great. This but is your view from Lava Land of your, of your lovely sun. <laughs> so you said that your, the sun in the sky is about yeah. half a degree, which is about the size of your thumb yep. at arm's length. Yeah, that's the size of the sun. Yeah, in right. the system. Okay, it's big. Yeah. I'm a bit frightened now. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't look nice, does it? That's not appealing at all. Okay. Well, time to decide. We're going to take a brief pause. You've got call it a minute. Grab your smartphones, whip them out, go to <laughs> www.menti.com. And vote. You'll need to put in a code. The code is 128227. Those of you who are listening at home, don't bother. It's too late. It's already done. This is in the past. Those of you in the room, this is live. You can do this. But at home, don't even try. It's not going to work. Um, you can go there and you can vote. You can vote for Emily's <coughs> planet. How? Or you can vote for, for my awesome entry into this particular category. I'll shut up now and I'll give you a minute to do your thing. Do we get to put some really nice music on during this bit? What was that? Oh, all you need is love. But thanks for promoting my planet a little bit more. I mean, you oh. could have gone with diamonds in the sky or something oh. like that. Thanks. Thanks, audience. Yeah, Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Where was that? Where was that? So, the next category is... No, category is... I know, I'm just I'm throwing it to you. Oh, are you trying to annoy me, Chris? I am. Oh, next okay. category is terrifying, as if the previous one wasn't terrifying enough. But we're, we're taking this notion a little bit more broadly. You know, fiery death by lava, cyanide, and and Diamonds. not being able to tunnel into diamond. I guess is the it was the third one there. Um, this one is is more of an existential thing, right? It's it's more of a if you could go there and not be instantly, you know, destroyed, would it be fun? Um, and I believe I'm. First on this one as well. I think I made myself first on all of them. Yeah, I did. I did. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But anyway, I've just put up for the, for the listeners at home, and all of these photos will be in the show notes. So please do, do go and check them out. As usual, like we know, like ladies and gentlemen, we do know that podcasting is an audio medium. We get that. We, we've done this for long enough now. But we always do put plenty of pictures in our podcast for people who like to watch while they listen. Um, I'm pointing you towards uh, the constellation of... Cygnus. Vulpicula, the fox, apparently, is up here somewhere. Cygnus. Yeah, but I'm just there. It's on the screen. Anyway. No, the green lines are Cygnus. Yeah, fine, but I'm pointing to this one. <laughs> Look, it says Cygnus there. I'm pointing up here, and I'm pointing to uh, a star, which is HD 189733, which is an orange dwarf star. It's actually part of a binary system. Uh, which means it's it's a little bit smaller than the sun. Am I am I right about that? An orange dwarf would be sort of quite a lot yeah. smaller. Yeah. Quite a lot. It's yeah. smaller than the sun. Um, and around that star, there is a planet 
by the name of HD1897333 B. My planets don't have funky names like, like someone else's. There's a planet which is roughly the same size and mass as Jupiter. Um, it orbits its sun every 2.2 days, which is very, very fast. It means it's going at about 152.5 kilometers a second for those of you who need old money. That's 341,000 miles an hour. Just for comparison, Jupiter, our Jupiter, the actual Jupiter, takes about 12 Earth years to orbit. So this one is 2.2 days, very, very close again to its star. Its orbital radius is about 1 30th of the Earth. So it's very, very, very close in. That means that the sun is about 30 times larger in the, in the sky as well. So it's another one of these examples of just huge bloody sun right there. Um, few facts about this planet. It was one of the first two planets to be directly spectroscopically observed, right? What does that mean? What would it mean to spectroscopically observe a planet? It means that you're going to create a spectrum from it, which means we take the light that we've got from this star and we break it up into the constituent colours. And that tells us a lot of information. It can tell us things like the composition of a star or indeed a planet, if we get a planet. Uh, it can tell us things like how fast it's moving. So it's got, it's got a wealth of really interesting things that we can learn from there. Right, and we did learn a lot. We learned about some of the stuff that's on this planet and what this planet is doing. So here's a couple of things. Uh, we know quite a lot about its atmosphere. It was the first planet shown to have carbon dioxide in, in the atmosphere, which is kind of cool. It's always useful to find things that we know from close to home, right? Carbon dioxide, water vapour. It's got water vapour. Oxygen, it's got methane. Um, Hydrogen cyanide? Uh, no, but we've moved on from that. Thanks. Just leave that one. Um, turns out the planet's blue in colour. If you were to see it from a bit of a distance, it's blue. We know the, we know the colour of this planet. But what interests me the most in this category of terrifying is why the planet is blue. The planet is blue because it has very large clouds heavily laced with silicate particles. Very fine particles of glass. That's fine. That might be okay. Except for the fact that the extreme changes in temperature around this Jupiter-sized planet means that it has winds blowing up to eight and a half thousand kilometers an hour. In old money, that's 5,400 miles per hour, two kilometers a second, or if you like talking in terms of the speed of sound, that's Mach 7. That's the wind speed blowing silicate particles, shards of glass, at eight and a half thousand kilometers an hour around this planet. As if that weren't terrifying enough, observations of this planet have also found solid evidence that it rains molten glass. So you've got eight and a half thousand kilometer per hour winds shredding you with glass. But that's all right, because when the rains come and you get light relief, it's molten glass that's coming down on top of you. Emily, that's my entry. Let me just show you what... That's artist representation. That's not quite right. right? This is an actual uh, NASA Goddard Space Center photograph. No, it's not. It's an artist's representation. I think if the planet were that close to the star, it wouldn't be there anymore. It's actually if you can imagine a 30 times larger sun in the sky. That's what we're talking about. So that's my entry in terrifying, is basically shredded by, by glass and, and molten glass.
care to uh, care to take over? Well, I'm just going to say our mortal bodies are only one part of our existence. And I'm going to give you an existential crisis okay. because I feel that that is far more terrifying than anything that you can provide in this category. All right, go on then. So this is my one of my um, again one of my favorite exoplanets. It's a PSOJ three one eight point five dash two two. I'd just like to point out before when Emily mentioned that her first planet had a name, that's not normal. We spend a lot of time on this podcast just bemoaning the fact that astronomers need to get their shit together when it comes to naming things. And here's another really good example of that. Will you give me a baby names book that's got 4,099 entries in it? Put it out to the internet. Put it out to the internet. You get names all that. You get a lot of planets called Planety McPlanet Face. But anyway. <laughs> Indeed. So this one is still called PSOJ318.5-22. Sure. Despite the fact it was actually discovered in 2013. So it's getting on a bit now, actually, yeah. in terms of the exoplanet world. Now, this is an example of a fantastic category of planets called rogue planets. And it's unrelated to Star Wars, which is... Right. True. <laughs> As are all the others. But anyway, carry on. Uh, so, this is a rogue planet is actually a planet that does not have a host star. So, when I was telling you right at the top of this podcast that exoplanets are going around other suns, not always true. We've got about 60 now exoplanets that don't have a host star at all. 60 planets that have been found, but I'm guessing that there's probably a few more than that out At least there. a few trillion and, and a couple. <laughs> a few tr Sorry, I was like, you know, I was just throwing that out there. Is there's probably a few more trillions. Good, yeah. Wow, that's quite a lot. How do we know? So how do we know this planet or the, how do we know about the trillions? Let's start with the trillions. I've got so many questions. <laughs> so uh, we actually did an episode of this, which was really exciting, whereby we found exoplanets in other galaxies. Oh, that's right. We did. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and this was actually the way we found the exoplanets in the other galaxy was how we found most of the rogue planets as well. And it's not through the fact that they we see them directly. And it's certainly not because we see the host stars because they don't have them, but it's actually because of their gravitational influence that we can spot them. That's right. It's all coming back to me now like a crazy fever dream. It, it, this, is, this is planets not just around other stars, because they're not around other stars. This is planets in other galaxies. And I want you to think about that for a moment, right? First of all, we only learned that there are other galaxies, what, about 100, 100 years, years ago? Yeah. Right? Before that, it was us and the Milky Way and the stars, and that's it. And then someone went, that blurry thing that you can see through the telescope, I reckon if we were able to resolve that a bit better, I think that's a whole other galaxy. No, get out. Turns out, true. And our galaxy has, what, something like 300 billion stars in it, and so do other galaxies in that, in that order. We can't see, other than with a few small exceptions like Andromeda, we can't see individual stars in other galaxies. So you're not going to make out planets in them. And so apparently we were able to determine that other galaxies have enormous numbers of exoplanets in them, including these rogue ones. How the hell do you do that? So we've got really one great scientist to thank for all this. Yes. Good old Einstein. Ah, yes. This comes Albert. back to the fact that matter and light do actually interact. So when you have mass, it can bend light. And we see this happen in our solar system. For example, when uh, a solar eclipse happens, we can see light being bent. Uh, we can also see it happen in our galaxy and we can use it to see that the light from very, very distant stars can be bent around objects that aren't there. 
which is how we find these rogue planets. And in the case of these other galaxies, we were able to see that the light from the stars in those galaxies was being bent around um, in all sorts of weird ways between us and the galaxy as well. So it was, you know, was using a combination Einstein, of all these using, wonderful using light stuff. bending techniques. Yeah. And the, the point being that if you, if you add up everything that you can see and put that into the equations that Einstein came up with and said, well, what would the light be doing with all the stuff that we can see? Well, it's not doing that. It's doing something different. There must be stuff there that we can't see, hence rogue planets. Lots of them. Yep. Lots of them. Lots of them. So why is this terrifying? Well, first of all, you've got to ask the question, how did this planet get to not have a sun? Okay, right, because planets had to form and come from somewhere. It didn't just come from somewhere into existence. That's right. There's no cabbage patch for planets. There is not, no. So So planets are born with stars. Yeah. So when a a big cloud of gas and dust collapses in the galaxy, then it forms the star and the planets pretty much at the same time. Right. And that's true for all of the planets that we're going to see. So when you find a planet that's out there on its own, it's had a terribly traumatic history and that it was formed in a lovely, calm, wonderful system. But something's happened. It's been kicked out. So some kind of gravitational dynamic, either a passing star or maybe even a, just a terrible encounter with something like Jupiter or something Jupiter-sized, has kicked this planet it's out flung of its it out, home Banished system. it out into the void. Wait, what did this planet ever do? And there's trillions of them. I feel really sad now. <laughs> it's, 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 it is <sighs> terrifying because these planets are then just floating out through space with nothing. And again, I really enjoy NASA's interpretation of this because you, you can say, well, without a star, you've got no day. So what are you going to do? You're going to party like there is no sunrise. If you can't see it, the, the tagline down the bottom is where the nightlife never ends. <laughs> But, you know, I've lived in the UK for a few years now, and that's just Yorkshire winter. <laughs> it's York- horrible. Yorkshire winter, like being on a rogue planet. Indeed. So All right. So if that's not existential terror, I don't know what is. So you've got two things here. You've got the fact that you were so poorly received by your own system of birth that you were kicked out as a very, very young planet. And then you're left to wander through space and alone and through darkness. The infinite void. With no energy source, with no light, with no one to care for you. And so when you look at the sky, this is a picture of the Milky Way as seen from planet Earth on a very, very dark night. When you look at the sky, you see just space all the time. Deep, <laughs> dark, <laughs> infinite. No, but seriously, you look at a picture like this. Yeah. We we see okay, we don't see the night sky all that much here in the <laughs> UK, but when we do see it, it's wonderful. We, we we have this lovely sensation. We can see stars. It's all very nice. But if you sit and think about just how big and black and empty and cold as, the universe as is, as Douglas Adams said, space is big. It's very very, it's very big. big. It's very very lonely and very very yeah. big. And we get to wake up in the morning and get the relief of daytime. Imagine not having the sun come up ever because there's no sun. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to vote. Let's move on. Category is? Category is. <clears throat> weird and wonderful. We thought we'd end on, the, on, on an up note of this one. 
And to the best of my knowledge, I'm going first again. I'm going to start with a planet called One Swasp, one S W A S P J one four zero seven B. Um, it goes around the star. Okay, I mentioned before that astronomers have an issue with naming things. This is the full name of the star that this planet goes around. It's one S W A S P J one four zero seven four seven point nine three dash three nine four five four two point six. Also known for short as one SWASP J one four zero seven seven one four zero seven four seven, or just J one four zero seven, also known as Mamajex object, and I think we'll call it Mamajex object from now on, don't you? Um, it's similar size to the Sun, and it has a planet around it, just the one that we found so far, and that planet's only been observed once, but boy, what an observation! It was. Now, what I'm showing you on the screen here, and those of you listening at home, check the show notes for the image. This is the data that one would get when one sees the planet going in front of its host star. It's a transit light curve, right? What, what you're seeing here is each of those dots is an observation of, let's say, call it the brightness of the star, right? How bright is it? And so it's bumbling along, bright, 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 and then suddenly it goes, oh, not so bright. And then it goes not bright, not bright, not bright, not bright, and then it goes back up to bright again. Now, actually, that dip is very, very small because the planet's very, very small, right? It's not blocking out much of the light, but enough to be observable. And so you see this little dip, and that's how you know that a planet's gone in front of it. Because why else would the star do that? And if the planet's going around reasonably quickly, then you see that kind of dip, and then you see it come around again. There's another. But you have to have this really, really perfect alignment. Right? Oh, yeah. So you have to have yeah. your star and then you have to have the planet going in front of the star and then you have to be in the same line uh, here on Earth. And actually, that's called a syzygy <laughs> when you get three planets in a line. We've been waiting to do line. that because every once in a while on the show, it comes out. Like That's what a syzygy is, right? The, the name of the show is syzygy, which is a, an alignment of three astronomical objects, right? Sun, moon, Earth. That's a syzygy. That's also an eclipse. And when it comes up on the show, we say, hey, it's a syzygy. Like, that's exciting for two people. Um, Annabelle. But I, but I just, uh, just for a moment, I thought, who's Annabelle? No, I see. Right. Um, a couple of shows ago, when it came up, I thought, you know what we need? We need a bell. And then one of our listeners, a guy by the name of Stuart, Circus Stew, as he goes by in York. He's a, he's a circus performer. He runs circus workshops down in York. I, this is a formal plug for Circus Stew down in York. If you're interested in doing circus performance workshops for your local school, get in touch with Circus Stew. Just, he, he teaches physics yeah. using juggling. Yeah. Go and, and look him up. Search, really cool. Google him Google him on the interwebs and go and find him because he heard that episode and sent us a bell in the post. How can the bell? <laughs> you get to do the next one. Anyway. Point is, it's a syzygy, right? The planets between us and the star. So that's what you would see normally. If you can see, look, look, look past, I was hoping the screen it might be a little bit higher. If you can look past people's heads, this was the observation that they saw for this particular planet, which we're calling Mamajek's object. And you can see that it's a little bit bumpy. It goes down, then it goes up, then it goes down, then it goes up. And that may look a bit, little bit like random noise. It's not random noise, because each one of these little, little blips, there's actually lots of data points in there. 
It really does follow these curves down and then rips back up again and then goes down and then up and then down and then and along a bit and then up a bit. What the hell? What is this? What is going on? Something's going in front of this star, clearly. But what is it? And then they finally realised. We've seen one of these before. We have a planet in our solar system by the name of Saturn. It has rings around it. What if something with rings passed in front of a star? Then looking through those rings, you'd see, well, there's a ring, and so it's blocking out a lot of the light. But then there's a gap in the ring, so some more of the light comes through. But then there's a bit more of a ring, and it goes up and down and up and down. We could model that, said astronomers, and they did. And the model that they came up with fits really well to the point where they are very, very confident that they have a planet which is roughly Jupiter-sized, but which has rings around it. Now, that's Saturn. Impressive. Beautiful. One of the best planets. <laughs> Don't snort. Don't be rude. It is. Look at it. It's Saturn, though, isn't it? This is the ring system that they believe they have found around this planet. And just to point out, that bit in the middle there, that tiny little blob, that's the size of Jupiter. This is 200 times the size of the ring system of Saturn. So much so, there it is from, a, from another angle. These are photographs. They're not photographs. Um, so much so that if it were in the same place as Saturn in our solar system, not only do the astronomers believe that it would be visible at night, bright, but it would be that size in the sky, far larger than the moon. How awesome would that be? And interestingly, how much would that have changed our human mythology over the years to see that coming up over the horizon every day? Emily, that is my weird and wonderful Mamajex object with the awesome rings. Over to you. Well, I think you're just overcapitalizing on Saturn here. <sighs> Emily many, has a thing many... about Saturn. Emily thinks that Saturn is a bit of a prima donna, frankly. It's, Trying a bit too hard? It's the teacher's pair of the solar system, isn't it? <laughs> What's I mean, your favourite planet, Emily? Mercury. Mercury. Tiny little lump of rock towards the sun. Yeah. Moving on. So you queried me a lot when I said that I'm going to enter the Earth into this category. Okay. So, look, I think you're all with me on this one, right? The entire point of this episode is exoplanets. Exo, not around our sun, around a different star. Exoplanets, wow. Earth, sun, not exo. Just mic drop, thank you. You're with me. Until I tell you that the very first serious exoplanet that was discovered yeah. was the Earth. Uh... Look, I'm not an astronomer, but I'm going to call bullshit on that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. I'm afraid it's true. I'm afraid it's true. The very first published journal paper discovering an exoplanet published the discovery of Earth. <sighs> okay, I've got so many problems with this, right? We knew the Earth was here. No one had to discover it, Emily. <laughs> So, well, we did anyway, because in 1991... Did, that, did someone get a publication out of this? This is the worst research grant ever. You no, can't. It's, it's amazing. So we discovered this in 1991. It is called PSR B1829-10B. 
It's the earth, Emily. It's also the earth. <laughs> what happened was that uh, you might notice from the PSR that I'm actually talking about a pulsar planet. Yeah, okay. So it was like the one that I had earlier, which in the name it was PSR, and that stands for pulsar, which is one of those spinny lighthouse stars of death. Yeah. So what happened was uh, astronomers were studying these pulsars and they were looking really, really carefully at the timings to see if they could find these planets. Right. And it was a progenitor of all the research that led to your uh, funny diamond planet. And so in 1991, they found indeed a signature and it was a signature of about six months that was in their data that was posing as a planet. And no matter what they did, no matter what they tried and no matter which way they looked at the data, no matter how they modelled it, I mean, they were suspicious, right? Six months is a suspiciously long yeah. um, orbit for a planet. Sure. But it was there. And so they published, and it was the very first exoplanet to be published in journal papers. And sorry, when was this? 1991. Okay, yeah. However, yeah. it turns out that they had made just <laughs> a teeny Were the telescopes pointing down? <laughs> Well, no, it's a bit more subtle than that. So it turns out that astronomy, when you're looking at other objects in the galaxy, is actually really, really hard because the Earth is not a stationary object that we sit on. It orbits around the sun. Sure. Right? Now, we can account for that, and we can account for that incredibly precisely, and indeed we have been looking at pulsars using these precise calculations for a very long time. It turns out that this particular pulsar was at such a weird alignment with the Earth that even though the models that they were using didn't account for the fact that Earth's orbit's not quite exactly a circle. Uh, for most pulsars, it was fine. For this one, it actually meant that they inserted an artificial signal into their data by accident. Oops. Oops. So, so they thought they found a planet around a pulsar, and in fact, what they found was, was the was, Earth was going us. around the sun. Yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> <laughs> well done all. So, sadly, in 1992, they had to publish the retraction of the paper. That must have been slightly embarrassing at the next conference. Oh, I feel for them so badly. So, I, I, Bob, Karen, how's the astronomy going? <laughs> Is that working out for you? Oof. I mean, you can just feel the pain in, in their retraction. <laughs> like, I, I read the retraction um, article oh, and, oh, it's, 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 it's bad. But um, nevertheless... It, it really did show that we were able to measure incredibly precisely where the Earth pulsars. is. And indeed, in 1992, just a few months later, then the first exoplanets around a pulsar were truly discovered. Uh, so, this is why I, I've, I've entered the Earth as my um, exoplanet. All because right, indeed fair it was enough. The very first one. That started. is fairly weird and wonderful. But that's that's not the only image you've got. No, well, do you want me to on, forward on? No, no, no. no okay, Come sorry. On, don't rush me. Hey. So the reason why I chose the Earth as the weird and wonderful is because it does take sometimes the astronomical perspective to step back from our home planet and look at it from in a very, very different way. Um, and one of the ways we can do that is start to think about what are the kind of really bizarre sets of circumstances and indeed very extraordinary sets of circumstances that have led to life becoming what it has come on the Earth. And the more research I do in exoplanet science, the more I am just blown away by how weird and wonderful our planet actually is. Because you look at the rest, even just the rest of our solar system, right? We've got a magnetic field. Only Jupiter can really um, also claim that. We've got a moon, and it's not just a moon. It's a moon. Like, it's a serious... <laughs> it's a proper moon. Moon. Mercury doesn't have a moon. Venus doesn't have a moon. Mars has a couple of lumps that are kind of a bit like potatoes. But we've got a moon, and that's important. 
And we got all this other stuff like it's the, the like number water of, and life. Yeah, and no hydrogen cyanide, no lava, world, <laughs> no, no glass, diamond centers, no, yeah. no raining molten glass on you. Yeah, we just lucked in. Yeah, we've done well. And yes, I know you can make the philosophical argument backwards and say, well, we wouldn't be here th- th- having this silly um, podcast if we, you know, the didn't first have this two thirds of this podcast would would suggest that yes, there is a selective process going on there. Yeah, but nevertheless. It's a really, really wonderful planet that we do live on. And it's it, true. It Let's not take one. it for granted. So I've got a couple of pictures that just, to me, really, really highlight that. Um, so actually writing the stats for, for planet Earth was really, really fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly one ma- uh, Earth mass. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's quite cool. Yeah. What um, are the odds? So this, is, this, um, this photograph here is Earthrise. It is a photograph. Um, it's taken from Apollo 8, so in 1968, uh, by the astronaut William Anders. And... It was one of the first times that I think we as humanity stepped back and looked at our planet as truly a planet. You know, this particular photograph, for example, captures everyone in the world except the three astronauts who were not on the world at the time. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Everyone except three. And including, like, the remains of everyone who's ever died. Anyone who's ever existed is there except for three people. They should have done this, shouldn't they? They should have... (laughs) They should have done the selfie and been in with it as well. Yeah. So oh, if only they'd thought of that. I mean, this is one of the most iconic images that we've ever had in astronomy, and I can see why. It's really invoking, and it's it's um, and arguably also uh, developed the field of environmental science and people's care about the environment. Because when you see the little tiny Earth floating out there in the blackness of space, you start to realize what a precious little place this is. Yeah, getting back to that whole existential dread thing. Yeah, it does make you feel a little bit small. I can do better. Can you? Shall we? Now, this looks like something that I tried to take in the middle of the night when I was trying to fumble for my phone to turn off the uh, alarm. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a pocket photo, that yeah, one, obviously. Yeah. But actually, this is not. This is um, a picture of the Earth as well. This is a photograph, and it's um, a very, very famous photograph. You might have heard it called Pale Blue Dot. It was taken by Voyager 1 in 1990, and it took actually a long and involved process to actually convince NASA to turn Voyager 1 around and take this photo. Yeah, now Voyager 1, that was, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 were launched in the 70s. Yeah. And they have just left the solar system. Or at least this time they've left the solar system. There's been about 20 times now that I think Voyager has left the solar system because they keep redefining what that means. No, seriously, this time we've left the solar system. Oh, except that there's always just a little bit more. Voyager has just left the solar system. It's a very long way out. It's still sending data back, both of them are, which is absolutely amazing. But it was sort of going out and, and visiting Jupiter and Saturn and all the planets on the way yeah. out. And then at one point they said, how about you turn around and just take a picture of where you came from? And this is what they saw. This is what they saw, yeah. And where was it at this point? Near Jupiter? Uh, so, yeah, even a bit further. So this is um, actually six billion kilometres away from Which the Which is Earth. a long way in anyone's language. It is, yeah. So about 40 times the distance between us and the sun. So really, really quite far away. So, yeah, Voyager turned around and it took this picture. And has, has anyone spotted the Earth yet? If you haven't, it's that. <laughs> that tiny bit. It's actually less than a pixel. If you do the calculations, it's 0.12 the size of a pixel. Wow. So it's bright enough to show up as a pixel, but the size of the Earth at that distance would be 0.012 of a pixel, which is very small. It's it's incredible. So yeah. think of that. All of humanity, everything mm. that humans have Including those three astronauts. They're, they're on there. They're in that picture. Yeah. They really are. Uh, is captured in less than a pixel. 
And this is just a very, very tiny fraction of a step away from our own solar system. So to me, thinking about the, the Earth in this way, thinking about it as a pale blue dot, um, does highlight... It's the same sort of idea. It's this idea that we, we live in a very, very special place. So it's actually been... Uh, since the year 2000, we have not had all of humanity on the planet Earth continuously. Because since oh, the year 2000... We've been manning the International Space Station. That's right. And, and there's that, always been someone and up there. there's always been someone up there. So since That's then, a weird thought, isn't it? Yeah, we've not had all of humanity on the same planet since then. Yeah. So I, I do like these kinds of things. And I think as astronomers we're really privileged in that we get to um, explore the universe and get to understand it in its deepest meaning. But I think a part of that also comes with the responsibility of understanding our own planet and understanding the the world that we live in as well. And that's part of the reason why I, for example, really love Syzygy, because I can bring some of that perspective to everybody else that wow. listens to the podcast. That's a really nice way. To, isn't that nice? And that just kind of wraps it all up really nicely. Unfortunately, we do have to vote. because we need to find out who's going to win this. Like, that was lovely and everything, but really it's all about the glory. For the first one, Emily wins. What? What? Robbed? Okay, so Emily's planet of death wins the deadly one. All right, fine. But that's all right, because there's still two left. I could still come up. What about category number two? What about terrifying? Here we go. Hey, it's one all. Emily wins the first one. Chris wins the second one. So Emily wins death. Chris wins terror. I think that's fair. <laughs> but what about weird and wonderful? This is we're, we're playing for everything right now. Come on, what's it going to be? Yes! No! <laughs> Damn it! All right, Emily. Put the crown on. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Syzygy Space Off winner for the second time running, Dr. Emily Brunsden. Ah, uh, dear. So the only way to really finish that one off, I think, is with a song, which, as I said, um, I, that's perfectly okay. Yeah. Everyone now look and hang watch on, her hang leave. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Emily's putting the crown on over her head. A, uh, a song that was written for the first time we did this show about exoplanets. Uh, we did different planets that time, though, so this has been a, a surprise for us as well. Earth is great, it's probably in my top eight Planets that go around the sun Might even be my number one But I'm not sure I want to be stuck here forevermore So many other worlds to find And some of them would blow your mind I'm not saying I want to move to Mars I just want to know what's going on around other stars I want to live on an exoplanet, don't you want to live on an exoplanet too? Just me and you, oh, 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 having lots of fun on an exoplanet, jumping up and down in its lower gravity. Just you and me, eh, eh, eh. we could choose a shiny new exoplanet with shimmering rings of ice around it, moons, so many moons, moons with their own moons. They're called moon moons. It's true. We 
covered that in Syzygy, episode 19. Go back and have a listen to it. Earth has won. Big, bright, warm and golden sun. It rises every single morning. It sets again each evening. That's boring, because I want two or three or four or even more. Why settle for a single star when the multiple systems better by far is good enough for Luke on tattooing? A double sunset's what I want to see. I want to live on an exoplanet. Don't you want to live on an exoplanet too? Just me and you, oh, 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 having lots of fun on an exoplanet, jumping up and down in its lower gravity. It's you and me, eh, 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 or pick a planet with a much greater mass and have to drag ourselves around on our asses. We just have to lie on the purple grass beneath the bright green sky. Depends on how we get there, but it might take a while. Give or take, it's roughly 50 billion billion miles. But when we get there, look around, you'll think that you're delirious. But I'm not joking, this is serious. See, because Sirius is the, it's the name of a star. It's a, it's a homonym. Every time. Jeez. Well, if you don't like that one, we can try the rock that's in orbit around Proxima Centauri. Walking on the beach by a glowing sea of lava. Maybe we could meet some of the local exafauna, like fluffy green mice with teeth like piranhas, or giant yellow bats that hang in bunches like bananas. Tinkling clouds of tiny crystal butterflies, or pandas that shoot lasers from their eyes. Yeah, pandas that shoot lasers from their big bright blue panda eye. Are they no? blue? I want to live on an exoplanet. Don't you want to live on an exoplanet too? Just me and you, oh, oh, oh. Having lots of fun on an exoplanet. Jumping up and down in its lower gravity. Just you and me, eh, 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 eh. We want to give a big thanks to everyone who came along on this lovely chilly autumn night to join us for this special live episode. You can find all the Syzygy podcasts online at syzygy.fm or go search for us on all the usual social media. This episode of Syzygy has been produced by my co-host Chris. And the fabulous people at this first ever podcast social club here in beautiful downtown Thirsk, North Yorkshire. I'm Emily Brunston. We'll catch you next week to explore more of the universe on the next episode of Syzygy. Come on, join in. I want to live on an exoplanet. Don't you want to live on an exoplanet too? Just me and you, ooh, ooh, ooh. Having lots of fun on an exoplanet. Jumping all around in its lower gravity. Just you and me, e, e, e. I've got my eye on an exoplanet. Let me borrow tests and I'll go and scan it. And you can come there too. The spaceship's leaving at a quarter after two. But before we begin this planet hopping, it's a long way. We're not stopping. So if you want to come too, I really think that you, I humbly suggest that you, I respectfully request that you go and pop into the loo. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a fabulous Thank night. You guys. Wonderful audience. Enjoy the rest of the festival.
Good night.